politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen yearning for freedom once again to the one and only CR Podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house today for our last day of August, Tuesday. And more aptly put, I should say, welcome to the Fourth Reich or the Fourth World Country. It's both the Fourth Reich and a Fourth World Country. Third World Country is where you don't have resources. You don't have the ability to live in safety, security, health. In this country, God has given us everything known to man. He has smiled upon this country. And we've rejected his will. And now we have a government, a medical class, that actively works to trap people in a burning building, creates a virus, makes it worse with mass vaccination, creating viral immune escape, and then prevents people from treating it. They prevented them from treating it, by the way, before the vaccine. This is a problem from day one. I want to talk about this more, other things as well. I do want to get to the refugee problem as well. I'm not going to lie. This is taking a toll on my health. I can't take it anymore. I can't take your emails, and I don't mean that in a mean way. Continue emailing me. It's just heartbreaking. The people that have no way out. You know, I, I'm associated with about 20 doctors so far, and then they know other people, a network of people that are actually brilliant at treating the virus. If you didn't hear Monday's show with Dr. Richard Urso, you have to hear it. The guy was a machine. That guy literally could save 99.9% of people from this virus. But there's less than 1% of doctors that are like that. So what's happening now is there's such a demand, even just from this audience and people that you know or in your own family, and there's no way to do it. I, I've been trying to help as many people as I can yesterday. I um, worked with someone and got them on a good path. But then I get emails from people where they know people in, in, in the ICU and, and they shouldn't have even been there to begin with. It could have been avoided. And even now there's things they could be doing, but they're starving them to death, giving them nothing but the drugs that don't work and certainly at that stage actually cause harm. And I, I just like, I've never seen an issue that is so surreal. There's so much we can and should be doing. We know what needs to be done, but I almost feel powerless for most people, especially if it's not outpatient to even do anything. Tomorrow we will, if I can get a hold of him, I will have a guest on, the probably the lead attorney in all these right-to-try cases where people are in the hospital and they refuse to allow them to try other drugs. Um, but even those are heartbreaking because, again, with the viral immune escape, the greater viral load, the greater illness, you know, e- even some of the things that were working remarkably beforehand, everything goes down a level now. People who are younger and healthier are getting sicker than they were before. I know some of my colleagues still disagree with me on that, but to me, I cannot deny it um, they're like, look at the UK data. And I'm like, yeah, because the UK got it two months earlier before the viral immune escape. This is not the same type of Delta that they were getting and anywhere in Europe. So we're going to go through more of that. You know, about now is when I can use another one of my refreshing trips to Front Sight Nevada with constitutioncoach.com. Uh, you know, our next trip is coming up in just a month. Um, I won't be at the late September one. I'll be at the late October one. 
but there are several dates in the fall when it gets cooler. The later it is, the cooler it is there. Gun training, handgun training during the day, Constitution training at night, courtesy of Rick Green of Patriot Academy. If you go to constitutioncoach.com, you could see all the details. Uh, 90% off the typical training, so it's only $150. It will, again, it will cost a lot more when you have the hotel, the car, which is, sadly, car rentals are crazy now because of another another consequence of the lockdown and ammo, but it, it you'll meet fellow patriots, you will meet um, people from the show, you will learn how to draw from the holster, proper shooting, clearing malfunctions, Lots of fun. Again, I'm going to be at the late October one. Sign up, constitutioncoach.com. So as this is all going on, I'm thinking to myself, where is our Kavanaugh moment? Our moment of unanimity. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, I've always been pulling my hair out, those of you who have been with me for a long time, always lamenting the fact that whenever we have an existential crisis politically, and now it affects our health, who's going to live, who's going to die. It affects our safety and security in the streets, affects our security from foreign threats that they keep letting in that we're going to get to a little bit more today. The conservative movement is nowhere to be seen. Nowhere. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. What other shows, podcasts, writers do you know who's even focusing on this stuff? I don't get it. I don't understand it. But during Kavanaugh, that was like the one time where anyone who was any inkling of conservative, right of center, writer, talker, elected Republican, they all woke up every day and combated the left's narrative, and it worked, and he got confirmed. Sadly, the one thing they throw it all on the table is for someone who's not worthy of it. And that in itself was a false flag operation. But my point is you see the effect of when I understand you have the media and you have the culture. But if you have everyone who claims to be an elected or unelected conservative figure honing in on the right message, it has its effect. Yet when it comes to COVID, what percentage of self-appointed conservatives are on the right message here? Uh, 1%? And it's not the biggest names. This is the problem. There's so much. Imagine the Richard Ursos, the Peter McCulloughs, the Ryan Coles, the narrative that we have. If people would only know how dangerous the vaccine is, how ineffective it has become, how much it's creating immune viral escape, and how many other options there are. But the more they continue this, the more it's a dead end. Let me start with that dead end that no one's talking about. CDC put out a study yesterday, preprint, and they wanted to show how amazing the vaccine is. Now, mind you, again, they've moved on from transmission. There's more transmission than there's ever been, and no one seems to be bothered by that. They're carrying higher viral loads than ever before. But they're saying it has great effectiveness against you know, um, critical illness. Now look, folks, I'm very into prophylaxis. I'm very into trying multiple things. And as a baseline, if you're going to at least be honest and say, look, 
This is something that's not going to stop transmission, not really symptomatic in infection either. But it really is a good record against um, critical illness. But it wears off, and you're going to have to get it every five, six months. If you're, if you're at least honest in that way, I, I could certainly understand, and I'm not even against such a concept. But there's a number of problems with that. That presupposes that you have every five months until we die pretty nice protection. It presupposes that in itself doesn't create a leaky virus scenario that makes the virus worse and a self-fulfilling prophecy. And then it completely presupposes that this is like drinking water, taking Advil, taking Tums. There's like nothing wrong with it. Yeah, so keep doing it, keep doing it. But all those things aren't true, and let's unpack that one by one. So CDC was like, man, this is greatly effective. A 17-fold greater hospitalization among those unvaccinated. But then a friend of mine pointed out a chart on, where is this? This is page 23 of the preprint. And if you want to, again, it's at MedRxiv, you know, the preprint database. COVID-19-associated hospitalizations among vaccinated and unvaccinated adults over 18 years, COVID-net 13 states, January 1st to January 24th. Okay? Now, one of those states, they looked at 13 states, 250 hospitals, I believe, and they compared the, the records of who was hospitalized and then compared it against who was vaccinated. Now, throughout July and August... Maryland Governor Larry Lockdown Hogan has been saying 100% of the deaths, 100% are unvaccinated. So here's the problem. Maryland's one of those states, and I don't want to focus too much on Maryland, but I'm just making that as a point. There's this chart that divides it down by January, February, March, April, May, and June. Now, they don't tell you when the people who were hospitalized were vaccinated, like Israel kind of looked into that. But you can get an idea. They tell you when they were hospitalized for COVID. And you look in January, and indeed, 94% of those who were hospitalized were unvaccinated. Now, you're going to laugh because in January, <laughs> almost you know the overwhelming majority of people, super majority, were, except for like healthcare workers, were unvaccinated. Okay, so actually the 94%, even when few people were vaccinated, is less efficacy than what they were telling us in July and August, that it was either 97%, some were saying 100%. Okay, so right away, and then it goes down and down and down, and in June, among those hospitalized in June, 76.6%. Oh, so that's about 23.4% were vaccinated to some degree, and were hospitalized. Oh, so that's a different story. Okay, that's still a nice majority, very nice number, but that's already a different story. Now, if it stayed at that forever, that would be a great, again, I'm, I'm all for, you know, there's no silver bullet, I'm all for trying everything. But if it's sliding down that quickly, 
And it was like that in June. You had Delta, but again, that was, in my view, before the viral immune escape created by it, and it and it works symbiotically. The more it leaks, the more it creates it, it creates a monster. So I'm sure you guys, inquiring minds, would like to know, headed into September, right now, what do those numbers look like? I'm saying, you know, it's like I, I was giving my sixth grader a math assignment for homeschooling and we're trying to establish patterns, you know, N minus 50 or N times five minus 50, what the pattern is as it goes down, goes up, and you have to complete the pattern. Well, it was 94, 89, 85, 82, 81, 76.6 in June. And that was right before the, the wave started in July when things got very bad. I don't know. I mean, I'm guessing. I don't know. But if you look at that, that would be more like 50, 55, maybe 60% unvaccinated. Oh, that's a very different story, especially when Israel established the cliff at 146 days. It's about five months, which makes sense. June, about five five months, but you head into July, August, September, that's a very different story. We don't have data on that. We don't have data. This is the first time we were given hard data from a study from CDC. But the latest date is the month of June, which in itself doesn't show 97%. It shows 76%. And that was June. Remember, Oregon is exploding in a hospital. They have more hospitalizations than they've ever had. There's no way you could say that's all unvaccinated. There's, we all know that's not true. Now, CDC did concede it's, it's the older people were weighted more, you know, the, un, the vaccinated hospitalized were weighted much more towards the older people. But there's two variables having at the, occurring at the same time. It's hard to tell which one's more than the other. On the one hand, um, older people are more vulnerable. On the other hand, they were also vaccinated earlier, so they're affected disproportionately by the waning effect. So it could be both. So among those people, it's even more. But those are the people who needed it the most. So that's already a very different story. So if you project forward, it will go down to a very low number in the coming weeks and months. So that's when it's important to then ask, well, wait a minute. I'm all for doing things that are 20% effective. I'm all for that. But that's when you have to then study again, well, okay, but then what are the risks? both to the individual, and then if you're going to keep boostering, you're going to keep creating viral immune escape, and there's already evidence that the third dose is not working as much. You know, an Israeli study just came out that showed there's a significantly higher case rate immediately following the third dose. Okay, this is something we found after the first dose, that even if it works, but it get, there's a two-week window that, that is perverse. It, it um, suppresses your immune system before it starts. This is a fact. Now, again, you know, I'm all for something that slides you back for two weeks but slides you forward afterwards, but you would have to do that in a place and a time where it's not circulating. If you if you desperately, you know, it's like you create a monster, you keep blowing it up, and then keep doing the thing that blows it up. Well, that's a very different story. We need information on that. And then also, it's important to keep in mind the study, they found, so again, Significantly greater increase uh, rate of hospitalization among unvaccinated, although nowhere near what they said, and it's 
rapidly evening up. But once you were hospitalized, then they compared the endpoint of so the beginning point is hospitalization, endpoint is ICU and death. They found no difference between the cohorts. In other words, once you hit the hospital, you're just as likely to die if you're vaccinated. So it's a very serious issue. And again, leads to the fact that we need better outpatient and inpatient treatment for everyone, even with the vaccine. They actually had a longer course of stay for those that were vaccinated on average, according to CDC. Now, you could say that's because they were on average older among the vaccinated breakthroughs. But I do want to keep in mind here that another very important factor is that if anything, if you're telling me already, if you tell me no one in the hospital is vaccinated, so then fine. But once you're already admitting that at June, it was already over 20%, then it's important to bring in another factor. So there's hospitalized because of COVID and hospitalized with COVID, okay? Now you'll tell me, okay, but that's a factor that should be even with both cohorts, but not really. Because in most hospitals, they have a policy that if you are unvaccinated, they they force you to test. You come in for a kidney stone, you come in for trauma, whatever it is, you test. You know, um, you come in with vaccinate, vaccinated, they'll, they'll only test you if you're coming in with pneumonia-like symptoms, you're coming in for COVID. But otherwise, they don't test you. So if anything, you're going to pick up so many more bogus, notional COVID hospitalizations on the unvaccinated side. So if anything, I would say the pie in reality is tilted even more the other way than they're willing to admit. But I'm getting these heartbreaking emails from people in hospitals, and I don't know what to do. Because once they're there, they control you. They're not going to listen to any of my doctors. And it's it's awful. So tomorrow we are going to have um, a lawyer on. And speaking of lawyers... Today's sponsor, Alliance Defending Freedom, for over 27 years, they've been standing up for religious liberty, the sanctity of life, freedom of speech, marriage, parental rights in America's courts. By the way, those parental rights are being taken away. You have um, people losing custody of a child if they themselves aren't vaccinated. Um, With so much at stake, ADF needs your support even more now than ever. Go to adflegal.org slash CRs and conservative review. Get your copy of ADF's ebook titled Generational Wins, absolutely free. Discover why fighting for what's right will impact us for generations to come. We need your support because, again, they do not, um, you know, it's totally pro bono. They don't have endless pockets like the ACLU does. They rely on your generosity. So check them out, adflegal.org slash CR, adflegal.org slash CR. So, folks, you know, we already know that there's a 98-fold risk of death over the flu shot. So, you know, this is not just something like keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. The three big questions are, what are the side effects we're not being told again in their own approval of Pfizer or, you know, half approval they gave, it was the commodity shot. They concede that the VAR system is not even picking up the myocarditis cases enough. And those are much more evident than all these other very, you know, people in their 60s, 70s experiencing cognitive decline, neurological issues, trouble walking. I'm hearing it so much. Obviously, the pregnancies, the fertility issues. I, you know, I was just speaking with one doctor yesterday, and he was like, 
it is so cumbersome to enter things into theirs. And you could see why so many doctors aren't doing it. That's number one. Number two is once we know that the vaccine wears off, which they're saying it does, why is there no concern of a leaky vaccine creating viral immune escape, given that we're seeing it so much more, such a higher viral load, allowing the virus to become much stronger, more durable, and then inducing this vicious cycle of mass vaccination and antibody-dependent disease enhancement reinforcing each other which with each subsequent booster. Again, if there was no such thing as side effects, no such thing as ADE, which we're already likely seeing, I'd say, yeah, okay, why not? You know, it helps. Go get it. Keep getting it. But that's not the case. And then number three, we have other treatments. You know, one of the interesting things, is, and this is even approved by the government, the monoclonal antibodies. I had a friend yesterday that I referred his wife to, to get treated and he was like, what are monoclonal antibodies? And he's not a dumb guy. I mean, I guess he, he obviously doesn't listen to the show every day, but I know he sometimes does. But he didn't know about it. It's a, it's a big secret. I couldn't even find it. I had to put it out on Twitter, and someone sent me the link. I didn't know where to find it in, in uh, Los Angeles. And there are a lot of states that you can only get it if you go to the ER. So again, it puts nosocomial spread in the hospitals. It, it puts more strain on them. Now, you know, some places, Florida leading the way, are doing a better job with these outpatient places. But the point is, it should be everywhere. The minute you get sick, again, my view is there's other ways of dealing with this too. But at least, I mean, that's something the government approved. And still, it's a big secret. It's a big secret. No one knows about it. Truly unbelievable. One of the craziest things going on now, I had a Texas doctor um, practices in East Texas, and he's treated so many patients now, really literally saved people's lives. Um, he, he gets people that find out that he he's a specialist, but so he's not, it's not like he's primary care, but people found out that he's good at treating COVID, and he gets people that were like kicked out of the hospitals, rejected, low, low uh, blood oxygen level, and he, and he fixes them up. Um, he's, he's a godsend, and I, I referred a friend of mine to him again. And by the way, he literally, just so you know, he treated the guy for free. He literally would make calls in between patients. And yet, we have a blood libel against these doctors. Somehow, they're the ones that are terrible people. You have all, the, all these articles accusing Pierre Corey and the FLCC of pay-for-play. And by the way, I just want to make a note. One of the things that's happening now is, imagine if you put a blockade on all treatment. Okay, I'm hearing doctors being brought before boards. They are putting gag orders on them. You're not allowed to talk about COVID. The boards say you're not allowed to treat it. And again, I don't even just mean hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. I mean, so this doctor told me he's having to play games with azithromycin. They can't prescribe azithromycin. And by the way, and I'm sure you guys have seen this, there seems to be something with this wave that one of the biggest things that seems to be roping in younger, healthy, otherwise healthier people and making them wind up going to the hospital and, and this vicious cycle of deterioration is even if they don't get the cytokine storm, but they get bacterial pneumonia. Now, that, that could be very serious, but it's also very, very predictable and very, very treatable. Even those that are like, Daniel, 
there's nothing to treat a virus. Well, that's a bacteria, and we absolutely have a clean shot with things like azithromycin that could totally head it off, and they're not being prescribed that. So in this one case I dealt with, um, where even the doctor did prescribe some good drugs, I was like, you know, she's already experiencing you know, a little bit, you know, sats dropping to 93, 94, couple level notches. It's fine if it stays that way, but I don't like if that's a harbinger. I said, so there's some stuff going on in the lungs there, you know, I said, I don't like that there's no um, antibiotic. Go get that. And indeed, the doctor I hooked him up with prescribed, I don't know if it was azithromycin or one of the other ones. There's a few of them they'll do. Um, and that's you know beyond my, uh, my knowledge. But the point is, that's what a doctor should be doing. They're not even prescribing an antibiotic. I know so many people that got messed up. Just If they just would have had that one thing, they would have avoided the hospital. It's utterly insane. So anyway, what's happening now is, imagine if you have a pandemic that's spreading everywhere. Everyone's getting it who didn't have prior infection. Vaccinated, unvaccinated. You know, Dr. Urso told me as one of his medical partners, like in one of the practices, who uh, totally vaccinated, almost died. Got him treated. But it was bad. And it's increasingly, again, it's a very fluid, numbers are meaningless. It's very fluid every day. It's waning more and more, which not only means that more vaccinated people without prior infection are are vulnerable, just like unvaccinated, aside from so many of them having lifelong debilitating illness from the vaccine. But again, you know what that means at a macro level. That means that you are strengthening the virus more and more. I don't agree with some of my colleagues who are still dismissing this. I think this is a very serious issue. I think they created it. I never, you, you, I mean, you guys are witnesses to how closely I follow this from day one. There's few people alive who have been more comprehensive in their coverage of this. Not just being opinionated, but just even just putting out information about it. And I really did not see people in their 30s, unless they really were severely obese or something, that, that had problems with this. And now I'm seeing young, healthy women in their 30s, you know, and we really have to come at it with many, many directions. You do it, you stave them off, but we had this one couple where, you know, she got it and she had it for a couple days, not, not 10, 15, but three, four at most. And he was away on business. He came back and boom, caught it from her. So he so they went for treatment. He nailed it on day one. She was already more into it. So this is the first couple I saw where the wife had it worse, but that's because she was a few days into it. And again, we got it under control. But I could tell you, without these doctors, you know, I, it could very well be she would have been hospitalized. Healthy 36-year-old. Okay? And... um. So again, what I'm finding more important than anything is more important than than whether you had the vaccine or not, more important than whether you are, you know, are someone with greater risk level. At this point, it's the timing. If you hit it at day one, if you hit it as soon as you feel symptoms, then you know, almost anyone, whatever your thing is, whatever your, your, uh, you know, you could have obesity, type two diabetes. Um, it's going to stave off the problems. You know, you might be, you know, feel 
little miserable for two, three days, but not in a dangerous way like you would with a flu, and you're done with it. You have natural immunity. You let this go, and, and it's, it's – in other words, everything I'm seeing validates what every doctor I'm saying right now. How much of it is a delta, a delta, one of the delta pluses? Is what is you know what's going on is unclear, but what is clear is there is a higher viral load. There is a higher viral load, and I want to get to that a little bit more in a minute. But I want to just finish the thought that I stepped on myself because I'm just thinking and talking a mile a minute today. So the point is, you'll be like, yeah, Daniel, but. How do I zap it on day one? And I'll, I'll be honest with you. I don't have a panacea. I mean, if I have a close friend, I, there's almost only so much I can bombard these doctors. But what's happening now, so Time Magazine did a big uh, hit piece on the FLCC. And what's happening is it's designed, everything, what they do is they, they make our strategy designed to fail. They'll block our ability to prescribe timely, block the right doses, block doctors from doing. So what happens is, is this is like an ad hoc dysfunctional thing where you basically have a handful of doctors very loosely together put some websites together and are literally treating the entire country. You have less than, you have like 0.1% of the doctors responsible for the whole country aside from their regular thing. Remember, most of them, it's not like they're COVID doctors. You know, something could be a head and neck surgeon, uh, uh, you know, an ophthalmologist, uh, whatever. You know, this is, it's, it's not like they don't have their day jobs that they're very busy with. So that you have these disgruntled people. Oh, I paid, I was charged $300 and I, it took me a week to get whatever. Well, but, but that proves our point. Whose fault is that? That's an even greater indictment of the medical establishment and the government. Every PCP should be doing this. Every single one. But 99% of people, my PCP sucks, so they got to find one of these guys. And look, I'm lucky enough to have these guys in speed dial, and I'm trying as much as I can to save as many people, but it's, it's killing me. It's heartbreaking. I've never been so emotionally distressed over something in my life. It is so evil what is going on. Completely senseless. So anyway, my buddy, he goes by the pseudonym Gato Malo. You might have heard of him. You might have seen him on Twitter. So he has a really good sub stack where he puts out some like just musings. Very smart guy. Lives in Puerto Rico. Um, and he explains it. He explains really well what is going on. And I, and I want to give it over to you because I'm literally seeing this at the illness treatment level. The rule of evolution is simple. Make a copy of me and pass it on. Any species still around to notice is very, very good at this. That's the test, and it's as simple as it is daunting. This evolutionary selector creates pressures, and these pressures shape evolution. And again, when we say evolution, I don't mean evolution the world was created, but the microevolution that everyone agrees to. Useful traits are conserved. Traits that work against replication and propagation are selected against. This creates a simple evolutionary gradient for viruses become more contagious, spread further, infect more hosts. Many viruses and bacteria are incredibly good at this. The good news, and again, this is important because this is what was occurring in the world 
from what I can see, since the beginning of creation until this July. The good news is that harming the host is maladaptive. It's like burning down your own house and your car with it. You soon have nowhere to live and nowhere to move around easily. So the selection process drives viruses away from being deadly. Ebola is a fearsome virus, but poorly evolved. It kills too quickly and spreads too, too slowly. That's why outbreaks are small, rare, and relatively easy to manage. People who feel sick stay at home. They stop mingling and carrying the virus to where others are. It's a built-in societal and species-level trait to mitigate pandemic. But what if you could break that trait? What if you could prevent a carrier from realizing it was infected? Well, then you'd spread virus far more effectively, wouldn't you? You could do a lot of damage, and the natural break on the spread, harm, and lethality of a viral evolutionary vector would be removed. You'd be supercharge, you'd supercharge a pandemic. This is a long-discussed and hypothesized problem with leaky vaccines. Okay? And I want you to keep this in mind as we have this blood libel against people that didn't get the shot and now a bunch of people getting sick and getting sick worse than ever and younger than ever. And they're like dancing on their graves. We had a listener to this show, an activist in Texas, that they're dancing on his grave. It's heartbreaking, heartbreaking um, on our Minutemen page. Again, I don't like talking about individuals in front of thousands of people. It's not that I don't have what to say. I have plenty to say. It's just you don't always know the details, and I, you don't. it's just the sensitivity of it. But on our private Facebook page, our Minutemen page, we do have a GoFundMe page for the family. It's terrible. 30-year-old. 30-year-old. And they're like, ha-ha, you should have gotten it. But again, don't take my word for it. CDC's data was remarkable for a 30 for a 30 year old it was almost like being struck by lightning until July again remember the CDC and Israeli studies I just cited at the beginning of the show when does it start leaking according to the Israelis around day 146 okay it's very very important now day 146 would have been more like early June for the first people, but that was a relatively small number of people. It makes sense that July is when you start roping in like anyone until mid-February, and that was already a number of seniors. A big portion of the population started getting vaccinated. I know my mother did um, in sometime in early February, so that makes sense. It was That's when everyone I know who was slammed with it, and in every case I'm seeing of younger people getting seriously ill or even dying, that's when it occurred. Continue with my friend here, Gato. A leaky vaccine is one that lacks sterilizing immunity. It prevents severe infection and perhaps death, but it does not stop infection and colonization by virus, so the vaccinated pe people become a carrier but remain unaware of it. This is, In other words, everything they said was going on last year that wasn't, and everything they accuse our guys of doing it, it's actually the vaccinated that are doing it. This is a massive accelerator of disease spread and possibly of overall fatality rates. You can see discussion here. Um, he cites a study. For those seeking an easier summary, this is a more accessible article. I strongly recommend reading the whole thing. This is another example of science we tossed out the window this year and is exactly the sort of thing that they should have been laser-focused on from day one. The chicken vaccine makes it makes its virus more dangerous. Okay? 
there's a chicken vaccine. This is it's called Merrick's disease. Merrick, M-A-R-E-K disease. This is a known phenomenon. Remember, Fauci said on March 26, you have to watch uh, last year. You have to watch for this. To this day, it's in the FDA's um, EUA memorandum that we don't know about long-term viral enhancement from waning immunity. But somehow, now that we know definitively it's waning to the point that they're saying everyone needs a booster, somehow it's not a problem. Oh, it's the Delta, Daniel. It's the, all the more so you have to get vaccinated because then you'll die from the Delta. But we before July, we weren't seeing that with the Delta in the European countries that got the wave early. We weren't, if anything, it was following the path of Mueller's ratchet Exactly what he was describing here, where it was a little bit more transmissible, but it was less deadly. And the UK's tracing app was reporting more and more. It was like a cold. Okay, a cold is not your blood oxygen level plummeting. Okay, that's a very different story. And that's what we're seeing here in the United States. I'm not saying everyone's getting it like that, but way too many people I'm seeing are getting it like that. And again, you look at the death rate in the states that have gotten this so far from Florida to Arkansas to Louisiana to uh, Texas and and Oregon, which has an insane, insanely high vaccination rate, by the way, all those states, they have a much higher death rate than what the UK had in May, okay? Where we saw a massive decoupling of cases and deaths. He talks about the chicken virus here. Represents one of the deadliest germs in history breaks from this conventional wisdom thanks to an inadvertent effect of a vaccine. Chickens vaccinated against Merrick's disease rarely get sick, but the vaccine does not prevent them from spreading Merrick's to unvaccinated birds. With the hottest strains, every unvaccinated bird dies within 10 days. There is no human virus that is that hot. Ebola, for example, doesn't kill everything in 10 days. In fact, rather than stop fall from spreading the virus, the vaccine allows the disease to spread faster and longer than it normally would. A new study finds scientists now believe that this vaccine has helped this chicken virus become uniquely virulent. That is a fact. Merrick's disease. No one disagrees with that point, that it was a leaky, screwed up vaccine. So, you know, when this was coming out, you could have been like, speculate, you know, how do you know it's not leaky? Well, we've never, never had a problem before. Now it is an incontrovertible fact. It's spreading more than ever. Much more in the most vaccinated places, just like unvaccinated. Doesn't stop transmission one iota. Duke University, 98% fully vaccinated. Masks mandated indoors. Weekly testing required. They have 364 people tested positive this week. All but eight of them were fully vaxxed. Well, Daniel, but there's no hospitalizations. Well, they're 20 years old. Okay, so... You know, I mean, all, all of last year, we had very few hospitalizations. Now, they say, well, maybe this thing is making it worse. It looks like the cutoff is around 30, around 30 for that. Whereas the cutoff used to be around 60, now it's 30. And that's very, very disturbing. So all these people that were seeing the myocarditis for young men, and they were like, I don't want to get that. The, 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 you know, the... um. What do you call it? The virus is not a problem for me. They were right. The vaccination itself created a leaky viral immune escape 
that allowed the virus to say, hey, I could have my cake and eat it too. Hey, I could go ahead and go to more people and also get more virulent by using the mass vaccinated as a conduit. I I just don't understand what's so hard. And sadly, some of these people... So it used to be that anyone within the first week, boom, you just come along and you take a little, you take even 12 milligrams of ivermectin, you were good to go. And that, that is a fact. That was what we saw in Uttar Pradesh. Because I could tell you they weren't getting high doses forever. They didn't, I mean, they just didn't, they, it was more primitive. They, they would drop it off. Now, this thing is a beast. If you don't get that right away, you know, then you really need some of these, you know, very skilled doctors like we have on the show to personally treat you, give you the right dose, the right mix, see what sort of symptoms you're having. Oh, you need to inhale budesonide on your lungs now with a nebulizer, which works very well. You know, a bunch of different things. I could tell you that was not the case before. Now, again, I'm, I'm, I'm asking, I, every day I'm like, I keep calling these guys, are like, are you losing people? Or is, is your stuff still holding up? And yes, they adapt. But, how many people in this country have access to those doctors? It's terrible. It's terrible. But I, I just, for all of time, I challenge anyone who is going to bash me, oh, you're talking down the vaccine. And even then, I, I always said, look, it has its time and place for older people. But for younger people, the reality is Before the vaccine itself created ADE, the reality is it was the right move to make. Yeah, I mean, you get a guy that thanks to our government 18 months into this, we don't have streamlined early treatment. So it's very ad hoc if you can even get a hold of something and try to do it on your own and not the best way. Not that it harms you, it's just it might not be as effective as it needs to be with this insane viral load. So you now have 30-year-olds that are unvaccinated where you have vaccinated people blasting the hell out of them with 250 times greater viral load. Yeah, I mean, dude, I'll admit, I'm sorry, I did not see that coming. Yeah, and you kind of can't blame me. I didn't see that coming. Now we see it coming and we've adapted or telling everyone from day one, day one, you got to get get the treatments, get the monoclonals as well, and don't take any chances. I, I don't like, you know, some of my, even some of the colleagues I agree with on things, they're still kind of dismissing it. Oh, no. This is a very different animal. Just look at Merrick's disease to understand. And the chickens, that's what's happening. What they did to the chickens is what they're now doing to humans. And again, they could dance on the grave of the unvaccinated, but the reality is, as we see, um, you know, I've heard from the grapevine in Florida, and this is, again, if they're willing to concede a number, it's going to be 50% worse than what they're conceding, is that they're up to 20% of the people dying now are vaccinated. So again, you're doing nobody a service by blocking known treatments Censoring them, obfuscating them at best, scaring doctors out of treating this, and 
going ahead and just saying the only solution is to create a vicious cycle of boosters and viral immune escape. It makes no sense. And again, this is just as if there's no side effects. No one died from this. No, no, no one. No one had problems with this. Yeah, yeah. It is not my fault that they put our hands behind our back. Look, I'm not a doctor, but I could give you 20 of the best in the entire country. And one of them we had, Dr. Urso, on the show yesterday. He knew about phenofibrate, not to mention hydroxy and ivermectin from the first month of this pandemic, when it was declared a pandemic. Because they used their brains, unlike these other doctors. They took a look at what was going on in other countries. They saw this reports from China and then Lombardy. And they're like, wait a minute. This looks bad. This can mess a lot of people up. But it's not like there's a virus that causes the body to like set on fire and the eyes pop out and the nose twists and deforms. It's not a biological sequence that we don't understand. It's inflammation and thrombosis. Doesn't mean it's not serious. It can and does kill and get people very sick. But like so many things we deal with that are so predictable, whether it's Lyme disease, whether it's a staph infection, whether it's certain types of cancers caught early, we have tons of ways of ensuring almost nobody dies from it if you treat it then. But if you tell the people, don't um, do not do anything and we're not going to do anything for you until you feel your life is in danger, well, that's a different story. So you're hearing a blood libel against any drug that shows promise. Then they trash it. So people don't know. You know they never heard of it until they heard the government trashing it, so it sounds really bad. But this gives you a different perspective. It's not about any one drug. Are you going to say azithromycin is trash? Is that bad too? Is phenofibrate, common cholesterol drug, is that bad too? Budesonide, Singular, things that work terrifically for people with asthma, that, that really are known to um, alleviate pulmonary inflammation. And this one person that, um, you know, the benchmark with your blood oxygen level is 95, right? You don't want it to dip below that. Again, it could dip a little bit below that, and it even if you have bronchitis or sometimes even colds or something, you could have that. But the thing with this is you're worried, whoa, like don't take a chance. Ah, okay, that's fine. Yeah, you'll probably feel, still feel fine, but once it goes below that, it goes very quick. But the point is, so it dipped, like, again, 92, 94. So got prescribed four, four times a day inhaled budesonide. So you take a nebulizer, you put the squeeze bottle of the prescription budesonide in it, and you nebulize. After the first dose, it went, went to 96, and she felt better. Took the pressure off. Um, and, and yet, every doctor who is worth more than a bucket of spit knows about this. You can't not. And they're, they're, they're terrified to prescribe. And, and, you know, there was a certain percentage that would be for. Now, you can't blame them. They're scared off. That is utter genocide. They are foreclosing the one thing. And remember, once you get it, then you have much, 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 much better immunity than the vaccine. 
it has become clear that this vicious cycle is going to continue until you get the natural immunity. I would argue, I would argue that if every person would have gotten, and, and back then, we had much more of a forgiving window to treat it up until really a month ago and much less stuff that you need to throw at it. Had we just had every PCP do a modicum of that, this thing would have been burned out after the first wave. I think we were right initially about that herd immunity threshold might have only needed to get to 30-40%. But now that they built it up with unnaturally hiding but not treating it, and then the viral immune escape from the vaccines, yeah, you got to assume we're going to have to go to 100. And, th- and they're saying that. They're admitting that. So it's maniacal to say that you're going to continue the vicious cycle of what's creating this. It makes no sense. They only have a narrative because they block all ways of treating this. So all you have left is a very like ragtag black market now, which is never going to work as well. Again, I want to make it very clear for the people that were able to catch and put them in touch with a competent doctor, there is a 100% success rate. And when I say 100%, I mean avoiding, even avoiding the hospital, much less death, and that is with the 250 times greater viral load. I mean, you had people back when it was the lower viral load, you take one three milligram tablet of ivermectin and it was done with it. But now, again, the dosage needs need to be increased. The you know multi-pronged approach earlier than ever before. That is not our fault. I will go to my grave knowing I was right about this point, these particular points from today. Again, this doesn't fit on a bumper sticker. No one argues that with the painful cost of all the people who died in the side effects of the vaccine, and the viral immune escape, and the waning efficacy, you did have for some people, if they got hit, their area, before the leakiness, they were better off than someone unvaccinated. I will concede that point. But that is completely unfair, because it didn't have to be that way. They created it. They, A, created the phenomenon that that did this with the higher viral load, to do in younger, healthier people. And number two, they foreclosed from anyone any streamlined process. So most didn't get treatment. I know in the media, you all these things, oh, this guy took ivermectin and he didn't, you know. The reality is, all I'm telling you is the people that I'm seeing, they're all getting saved by that. And again, I would think, I think the common denominator probably is that in those cases, it wasn't quite early enough and it wasn't quite intense enough. And it wasn't done with the, you know, competent doctor that, could look at what you know cuz look i'm 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 just i could i could just spit back to you what i'm reading and what i'm hearing from doctors but a, but a good doctor and this is what we do on every other ailment they could picture in their brain from talking to you even if they don't see you certainly it's better if they see you um oh boom this is exactly what the thing is doing this is what the pathogen is doing to you so they know it's not just a matter of here's a cocktail here are drugs that work it's a matter of knowing what combo, what things to give for the right person at the right time. 
I'm not saying anything novel here. That is what the practice of medicine means at its core. That is what it means to be a competent doctor. And the fact that we don't have this on thrombosis and inflammation. Thrombosis and inflammation. Okay, Don't call it COVID because it's a meaningless term to people. Clinically, it is thrombosis and inflammation. Just the individual doctors with their own experience and their own brains and their own resources and research have come up with a pretty good system. If our government would have only jumped on phenofibrate and and nitazoxone, much less hydroxy and ivermectin and everything else, they knew about this stuff from day one, sometimes a few months into it. Okay, fine. You don't feel like You have enough data behind it. I understand. Number one, you have no right to block people from using it as long as it is a safe FDA-approved drug, which every one of them is. And number two, if this is such an emergency, why wouldn't you yourself use your infinite godly resources that you evidently have from from, from the Fed printing press to go ahead and do a trillion-person sample, double-blinded, you know, randomized placebo-controlled trial. Why don't you do it then? To this day, they won't do it. And I think we know why. So you know what they're going to do now? They're going to do studies after waiting forever and creating a 250 times the viral load. They're going to use ivermectin without anything else. They'll use it too late. And they'll use it at 12 milligrams rather than, you know, the 0.6 uh, milligrams per kilogram of weight of a person, which, um, you know, I mean, heck, even my wife, I'm just trying to convert it in my brain. Even my wife at, you know, she's like 105, 107 pounds. Um, it's going to come out to be more. So any adult, it's going to be more than that. Um, but even if you go to 0.4, and he, again, even the 0.2 for most people, the original is going to be well over that for a lot of people. Um, one of the guys we treated yesterday was 230 pounds. And he, he's, he's, he's really, he's just strong, muscular, broad, like 6'4 or something. So he's not really, he's not overweight. Um, that's just, you know, that, that's what his weight should be. But it's just, it's, it's so stupid. Again, we don't do this with anything else in medicine. Oh, it didn't work. Why is it that everything works for 60 studies and then somehow when the government gets a hold of it, so, somehow it no longer works? Somehow it's a, they, you know, it was used for 50 years, billions of doses, no one had a problem, written about in the literature is the greatest thing, accomplishment in medicine 50 years, no side effects, somehow now, oh no, people are dying from a poison. And of course, remdesivir is as pure as the wind-driven snow. I just, again, I cannot get off of this issue it is killing me. We got to pray. You got to hound your state legislators and say you need to get into emergency session and immediately pass legislation saying that doctors have the right and pharmacists must prescribe and cannot uh, dispense and cannot block a prescription with the threat of a fine of a million dollars if they do so of any FDA approved drug that is prescribed for antibiotics, antiviral, anti-inflammatory, and anti-thrombotic. Uh, 
It, it, I'm shocked that what I'm saying is controversial. I know I'm kind of like, you know, conservative, right-wing type of guy. Like, I know, I know when things are controversial. I never thought I would one day come to a time in my career where I would be at the forefront with people 18 months into pandemic when their own admission shows that they have failed to come up with a solution and they refuse to treat and study and investigate dozens of known things, known therapeutics to work for known syndromes that we could see coming a mile away. But if you let it get bad, it gets real bad. I challenge anyone to refute today's message. Don't judge me with straw man arguments of what other people are saying. Oh, COVID's not a problem. Or, oh, no. That, that was never my message, and certainly not now after the ADE. That is a very, my point is, I don't know how to fully evaluate the, the vaccine. I just know what we see so far. And it is not my job to categorically prove that none of these things are a problem. It is their job to rule them out before they promote it, much less mandate it. Especially when you have drugs that have no myocarditis, never had problems, are FDA approved, have always been. And they're saying you can't use them. Unbelievable. Again, I'm heartbroken. I'm heartbroken. I wish I could help more people. Again, don't don't be discouraged. You can email me, dharowitz at blazemedia.com or danielharowitz at startmail.com. I'll try my best. I just like, you know, again, tomorrow we'll have a, a guest on about the, the you know, inpatient lawsuits. I, I, it's not like I could get a doctor on the phone that they're going to listen to in an ICU. It's, I mean, that, that's bad. An outpatient, it's tough. These people are slammed. You know, what do you do if you have a full-time job as an ophthalmologist, as a intensivist, as a cancer surgeon, whatever, pathologist, and then you have a thousand calls of people desperate with COVID treatment. What are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do when we have more money and resources and drugs anywhere in the, in the, in the, in the world? And they have forced us into a tiny black market. And then they'll write hit pieces on how clunky it is. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's classic. Send the show to every one of your friends, relatives. Please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. This helps. All, all I ask is that just the truth get out. I don't need more fame. I don't like even, I kind of get nervous going on cable news. I don't like it. My dream job would be doing the research for other people, and I'm kind of in the background. It just gets to me too much. So I need your help. I need your help promoting this, educating people. Let me know your feedback. Till tomorrow. God bless you all, and thank you for listening.